0: welcome to the char work podcast this is your host kushal mehra all right today we are going to be talking about another book i'm really excited to have monica hallon monica his new book is out and it's called let's talk mutual funds a systematic smart way to make them work for you monica thank you for coming and congratulations on the new book
1: thank you thank you good to see you again i'm a regular on your show now
0: Yes and, and I'm very happy and glad that you are coming regularly is because I have learned so much by reading your first book let's talk about money and now this one so uh, we'll start from here Now uh, mutual funds were a very small subset of let's talk about money it subset So what made you uh, write a uh, write a whole book on this then that
1: first book let's talk money is like a starter kit. The way that I saw it is that most of the conversations would begin from a very high level, but basics never got either communicated or taught. So that was a first sort of step for a person to understand their own finances. And in that, I have given different ways to invest. But when I got to the mutual fund chapter, there was so much to tell that I wrote in that book that I'm not being able to contain, I'm not being able to describe all that I want to. Therefore, I think there's another book. I need to do another book on mutual funds. I wrote it, I forgot. Readers did not let me forget that, ma'am, aapne kaha likhoge, kit kya hua uska. you had said that you will give us this book on mutual funds. So uh, the, the first book came out in 2018. It took me the next four years to get convinced that genuinely, There was a need for such a book because I saw that, you know, there are plenty of other books in the market. But then I realized that most of those are more like FAQs. What is a mutual fund? How is it structured? What is out there? Uh, Very useful. But I didn't see a narrative. Finally, you need a narrative, you need a string, you need a certain philosophy. I didn't see that. So therefore, this big book came to be. Uh, and I also believe that as a category of products, mutual funds are tailor-made for investors in terms of the regulatory under the bonnet work. And we'll talk about this more as we go along. And the fact that uh, it caters to all the needs, more, other than insurance and real estate, This product category offers investors all of the uh, options that you need to build a portfolio, short, medium, long term. And we can open this up as we go. But to simplify your financial life, it's better that you have one route. And in that route, you can pick multiple uh, schemes to solve most of your financial problems. So that is
0: really the reason. But before we get into the nitty-gritties of that, I I love the fact that you start your book with the chapter, Money is Good. Now, (laughs) this 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 has been... Now, I'm kind of known to be a very unabashed uh, materialist. I mean, this is the Charvak podcast and I'm very pro-markets, very pro the idea of prosperity, very pro the idea of conscious capitalism also. It's not just capitalism. You have to be a conscious capitalist. You have to be very careful about how you make money. But at a fundamental level, you know we've talked about this off the record also uh, many times that why is making money so frowned upon Monica, in india like the whole idea ko hi humne buri adat bata diya.
1: and i've never understood what is so romantic about poverty it is the worst just say in a person's life is poverty not having money for medicines not having money for a hospital not having money for education that is the worst curse in a person's life. And the way that I see, if I'll take a very long sweep of history, we India used to be a very rich country, a cent, you know, a thousand years ago. Then came the invasions, which was the first round of colonization. Then came the second round of colonization. First, it was the Islamist, Islamic colonization, and then there was the British colonization that 1000 year period impoverished the country to a point where in the Bengal famine, we lost millions to starvation. You know, And that's what I write in the book that if a country cannot feed its own people, what are we even thinking about in terms of wealth? And the way that I decode it is that, you know, generation after generation, you understand that your lot is poverty then the only way to be human and to stay alive is to put being poor on a moral high ground, to put it on a pedestal, to say the rich are evil, it's ill-gotten wealth, heart come hell. You just give adjectives to wealth and the people who own it and you say that the only way to get rich is to do bad things. You know the smuggler, charas. Uh, so you do bad things and then you become rich. We may be poor. Mere paas hai, This maa diwar dialogue is, it sort of epitomizes the moral high ground to say that I may be poor, but I have my morality. So I decode it in that. And you know, jumping now to the millennials and the gen Z who were born 10 years after economic liberalization, they are in a very different mindset. And it is, I feel, people of our generation, my generation, who grew up in a socialist country, who are dragging their aspiration and their desire to be wealthy back. We are giving them these moral lessons that money is bad. And I'm saying, no, money is very good. It really depends on how you earn it and how you spend it. It can have moral connotations, which only you can decide. Let nobody tell you what is right for you. You decide whether, you know, how you want to earn it and how you want to spend it. These are your decisions. But in itself, isn't money good? Isn't it good that we have a nation of rich people or is it good we have a nation of poor people? So I I feel that it, it has very deep political and social connotations. We've been kept poor Um, post-independence. If you have masses just struggling to stay alive, fighting for basics, then you don't have space for higher thoughts to challenge the political leadership, to put up any sort of resistance. You're half dead. You're just scrounging for water, bijlee, pani, dood, bread. You know, you're just scrounging for just basics. So where even the middle class, you're, so much of the time of my own childhood, I remember, was spent in lining up for staff, trying to get things, you know, so you keep this, even the thinking middle class busy with everyday survival, you're not going to be challenged, which is why 91 was such a huge reform.
0: so it is it is basically it stems from the scarcity mindset that has been created in us and and yeah. and in 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 societies where this scarcity mindset is fetishized it unfortunately leads to many second order and third order effects and all these famous filmy dialogues or or you know the the, the one i always mock this one like beta paisa to haatho <laughs> <laughs> भी भी भी. Correct. Uh, it, Absolutely. Yeah, what, what we should be teaching our children is how to make money ethically, how yes. making money is good, how after making money try to do charity. These are the lessons we need to be encouraging our, uh, and inculcating in our children. Like being a conscious capitalist, we do the complete yes. opposite of it.
1: I know. And I'm saying, we are all thinking human beings, we can nudge this generation in a certain direction. If we come down too highly moralistic on them, they will go in the opposite direction. So the way that I see it is, you know, you lay out choices in front of them and say every choice has a consequence. You do unethical capitalism, you do unethical decisions, it will come back and bite you. And you don't need to wait till the next lifetime. Abhi patala Somewhere or the other, it'll catch up with you. Whether it will catch up with you, your family, your kids, we don't know how it catches up, but I believe it'll catch up with you. Yes. And then, even even in the consumption story, how much finally, what all, how much do you consume? What do you want to get to a place like where, you know, America, where uh, we are seeing the problems of overconsumption? of not having any goal other than consumption. So I'm hoping that as the nation starts on the journey towards being a middle-income country and then hopefully a developed country, these cohorts, these waves of the generations which are now and then uh, in the next 10 to 15 years, I'm hoping that they are able to take these decisions on uh, things like... It matters how I earn my money and it matters how I spend it. And I need to take ownership of both of those things.
0: Yeah. Now, I'd like to form uh, podcasts, assuming that there might be that one person or two people who may genuinely not know what mutual funds are at a <laughs> so, so So what are mutual funds, Monica? And you, you know
1: would be... And, you know, the thing is, you will be surprised to know that most people don't know what it is. They think it's a product. So mostly when people will talk to me, they'll say, you know, I have some stocks, shares. I have some fixed deposit and I have some uh, mutual funds. So I'm saying mutual funds are not a product. It is a route to investing in equity, debt, gold and combinations of this. The asset classes as such is equity which is stocks, debt, which is your fixed deposits, bonds, PPF, gold, which now we invest through mutual funds as well. So basically, these are routes where retail money is collected together. It's handed over to a professional fund manager who, according to the investment mandate of investors, invests in different asset classes, combinations of them, Within an asset class, for example, say equity, it will invest only in large caps, only in mid caps, only in small, or combination. There are many, many ways to invest in these uh, asset classes. So mutual fund is a route; It's not an end product. It's a route to stocks, shares, bonds, gold, combinations of those. Um, it, an average person will find it very difficult to evaluate, for example, the share market, the stock, the individual companies, individual companies' equity may still be easier to evaluate than the bonds of a company, which is even higher risk than the equity of a company. Bond value can go to zero very quickly. Uh, the equity share prices take far longer to run to zero, but the bond distress shows up almost immediately. So when you do, when you collect the money, Investor's money is collected by a mutual fund who then is offering different schemes which invest in different parts of the market. So as an investor, you're able to see, you're able to take decisions on where I want to invest, what is the product that I want, and then pick a category and then a scheme. So that is essentially what a mutual fund does. It gives you the option of investing in asset classes which you might find it difficult to do yourself
0: but but let's get get a little further so how are they fundamentally different let's say if uh-huh. if we were to get into the deep, deeper dive on this like how right. are they different from other financial assets then
1: it is isn't the structure so i'll tell you a little story so mutual fund in india is structured it's a three tier structure so there's a sponsor who's the business entity with the idea that we should start a mutual fund. Okay. So sponsor can be a bank. It can be an individual. It can be uh, well, a company. You need to incorporate it. But essentially it is uh, somebody with the business mind that I want to start this business. Um, but then it has to put in place thing, somebody called a trustee, a trustee company, so the Indian mutual funds are a trust, which means the investor money doesn't go to the sponsor. It doesn't go to the asset management company. So the mutual fund actually is uh, it's structured in a three-part way, the sponsor, the trust, and the asset management company. So whatever you see, XYZ mutual fund, ABC asset management company, This is actually a fee for service provider to the trustees who have outsourced this business of managing investor money, which they are the repository. They hold the money. So and you would know that the Indian trust laws are very, very strict. Um, Trustees can go to jail. Trustees' personal assets can get attached should it be established that there was embezzling of investor money. I mean, what, what is the main? See, in investing, what is my main fear? Somebody runs away with my money, or you give money to a broker, he mixes it with his money and starts to invest elsewhere. Exactly what happened with the FTX, the you know the classic story of uh, proprietary trading with uh, investor money. In this structure neither the sponsor nor the amc can use investor money for their own use they cannot embezzle it they cannot siphon it off so for retail investors this is a very very big sense of uh, comfort that my first level of risk is looked after they you know no mutual fund in india has ever run away with anyone's money it is the structure doesn't allow it because the The money is held in trust, investor money is held in trust by the trustee company. So this is why it is different than other financial products. And when we say, what are the other financial products? People buy directly stocks, they buy bonds, they will buy company deposits. The the comparable product is a unit-linked insurance plan which insurance companies sell, which is a mutual fund with a little crust of life cover, little bit of insurance is there. But we don't get the same sort of transparency, benchmarking, uh, comparability that we get in the mutual fund industry. So you do have products which are similar to mutual funds called ULIPs, but that opens a whole other can of worms about the way the insurance industry in India is run and who it actually benefits. It does not benefit the investor.
0: So 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 what is the fundamental philosophy then of a mutual fund? Is the fundamental philosophy I, I mean I I'm trying to understand and paraphrase and then maybe you can correct me. Like, is it to create an asset class that is relatively safer in comparison to other what so what was the basic philosophy behind the people who yeah. said we want to create a mutual fund?
1: Yeah, so mutual funds are actually uh it is it's an intermediation. Look, the whole financial sector is based on using the savings of one part of the economy and handing it over to the users of capital. Typically, these are companies, businesses who need money to have working capital, to invest in um, assets, to invest in factories, to invest in offices, right? So you have the creators of savings and the users of savings. Everything else is intermediation, whether it is a bank, whether it's an insurance company, whether it's a pension, whether it's a mutual fund, they're all intermediaries which are linking the savers with the users of those savings. So when you think about it in a very big picture way, the mutual fund is one of the lowest risk ways to hand your money over to the users of capital through the agency of a mutual fund to make your money work harder, okay, to invest. And the the reason why the mutual fund structure is so successful in, in the entire world is that the structure itself pro- prevents misuse of the money. And in the Indian context, for the story that I want to tell you, why our rules are so tough, you know, it's not in every country that this structure is followed is that the rules of mutual funds were written in the aftermath of the 92 stock market scam it was actually a banking scam which spilt over into the stock market but uh, the 1992 stock market scam where retail investors lost a lot of money so when the mutual fund rules the erstwhile monopoly was uti and then Public sector, banks and all were allowed in to set up mutual funds. Remember, the socialist ideology was so strong, they didn't allow the private sector in till much later. So it was much later that the private sector is allowed in. So then the government felt that you need rules of the game. Rules were formed with the policy view that we cannot put at risk the money of retail investors, especially to fraud. So market risk is a different thing. Markets go up and down. But the risk of fraud cannot be the risk of vanishing companies, the risk of somebody decamping with money. That risk has to be sorted in the DNA of the rules, in the structure of the product. So that really was the history of the strict rules in India for this industry. And every subsequent chairman of SEBI, has only made it tougher and tougher and tougher. So that today, India has one of the tightest regulations in the world. That is triggering investor trust. And you have almost assets at, I think it's now uh, 40 trillion rupees. It's growing year on year. Your systematic investment plan, which is a voluntary retail handing over month on month mainly in equity schemes is 14,000 crores a month, right? So nowhere in the world do you see retail investors without being sold themselves offering money to an industry for this recurring kind of investment. So the tighter the rules of this industry, the safer the investors feel and the more they come and invest into the markets. So this is the story of the industry that this is a regulatory story. Really, it's one of the most successful regulatory stories of the world, where despite very strict regulations, you have seen the industry match up to it. The investors learn their lessons and the, a lot of the distributors have done exceedingly well. You know, Some of the uh, mutual fund distributors have done excellently well in terms of handholding investors. There will always be bad eggs in an industry, but overall, I think the, and this has been my favorite line and I've been sort of um, tracking this, using, wearing a policy hat, working with the government, working with SEBI for better regulations for investors. And my dream was that this is finance. It is not difficult to have a structure where all three win, the producer, the intermediary and the investor. And I think in this case, this one desire that there can be a market where everybody wins is possible. So, this is what I'm seeing at the moment. a
0: one uh, question. So, how is, let's say, I am a, I'm not even thinking like a HNI. Like a high net worth individual. I'm thinking as just an r- average person, middle class and above. What is the difference between an H&I giving money to some private in- person who manages their portfolio vis-a-vis somebody putting it in a mutual fund? What is the fundamental difference between the two?
1: You can take the metro because everybody is taking the metro. You know, it will start at this point and in 32 minutes, it will reach that point. Right? And you know what it costs. The ticket price is known. There are no surprises almost on this journey. Or you could call for a taxi, and you don't know whether the driver is going to be clean. Is he going to be a rash driver? Will he come drunk? Maybe he's a very good driver. I don't know if he'll overcharge. Maybe his meter is tampered. I have to do that due diligence myself. So if you're talking of a uh, you know hiring. a a person who does this for you, you will have to do the due diligence and not for a moment am I saying that's a bad idea. I'm just saying these are choices available. Do you have the expertise to monitor this person? How do you know this person is doing well? Um, When you go the mutual fund route, you have a regulator, which is putting very strict rules on how returns can be shown to you, right? Whether it is a point to point return, whether, whether it's an average annual return, how it can be displayed to you against a benchmark, because, you know, the portfolio manager can come and say, you know what, I've doubled your money in a year. I've grown it hundred percent. And you're very happy till Sebi says, but you give us the benchmark. Oh, but Sensex grew 120% this year. So you have underperformed the Sensex for, and charged me a fee. Do you understand? So that, uh, so if there's a market standard, which has done 120%, and I have paid your money and you have underperformed the average I would have got by just buying an index fund. You have done disservice to my money. So these are calls that you take as a person. How much do I know? How much time do I have to monitor? Um, So for most people taking this Metro where rules are all set, you just have to ride. It works out much better.
0: All right. So now let's get into the next phase. Then you did mention about regulation and mutual funds. Now, uh, then all this is like uh, the bane of many debates, the the Mm -hmm. core of many debates, right? So how much regulation is good regulation?
1: Yeah. So that's, it's a difficult question in a market which has many regulators, so you have the insurance regulator, you have the banking regulator, you have a pension regulator, and you have the capital market regulator. A lot of the products are have multiple regulators. Many product types, like take a pension product. You can buy a pension product which is regulated by the PFRDA. The insurance companies also have pension products. So do mutual funds. Then you have labor ministry which oversees uh, PF and BPF. PPF, yeah, the Provident Fund, EPFO. So a person is having to choose in India a regulator rather than a product category, which is a very warped way to run a market. So it also opens you to something called regulatory arbitrage. Why do you think insurance agents are after your blood all the time in India? Because commissions over there, have been as high as 40% legally. Illegally, they have handed them over the entire first premium of your uh, policy, which is an investment insurance plan. In mutual funds, there are zero front commissions. Okay, so you have an industry which is running parallel to you, which has 40% commission. You cannot even give one rupee in commission. It's zero. What, What signals to the market are the two regulators sending? Very different signals. So, again, whereas SEBI has been tightening the rules on the industry every few years, the insurance regulator has not done its bit by the investor. It's been seen to be uh, favoring the industry and the agents at the cost of investors. So when you have this arbitrage, it's very difficult for investors to make the correct decisions. So my policy fight always has been that you need to regulate on function and not form. Look at the function of the product. What is it doing? So a ULIP is a mutual fund with the crust of insurance. The mutual fund part should be run by the mutual fund industry. Why is the insurance industry running it? You should do risk management. Why are you getting into investments? Banks give you deposits. Like what is the need for these endowment and the whole life? Non, I mean, they are really toxic plans. So this is a very old policy fight of mine, which on the insurance side, I think I've lost because as far as the capital market goes, I think a lot of the recommendations that I have personally been a part of with the Swaroop Committee Report 2009, BOS Committee Report 2014, a lot of that has been implemented by SEBI. But the insurance regulator has done nothing. And you see the difference in the two industries in terms of um, just the investor complaints, investor comfort, investor enthusiasm. You see the difference. You will only see people complaining about insurance and you have very intelligent conversations about the mutual fund products that people own. So, you know, regulators matter. And it it is a very surprising thing that the Indian Finance Ministry over the years and this is decades, has not thought it fit to get the insurance regulator to manage the industry so that investors are not harmed the way they've been harmed.
0: So then what is the ideal level of regulation?
1: There isn't one. It has to keep changing with markets. As markets, look, now there is technology where... Uh, It is very difficult for a regulator like SEBI to catch insider trading, for example, because you have disappearing messages, you have um, encrypted messages. How do you establish insider trading? So SEBI, in fact, has had a consultation paper out uh, where it said that we want presumptive powers to say that if you have made gains, which you cannot explain, you are presumed to be guilty. Okay, because in their search and seizure operations, they found that people had been exchanging these messages where if they disappear, there is no way you can establish that there indeed was insider trading. So I think regulations have to keep pace. The purpose of regulation is to protect retail investors. Remember, it is every rupee of mine which makes the market go round. Unfortunately, regulators take the market development role very seriously. And their heart bleeds for the agents and their families and their livelihoods. But the investor whom nobody represents is completely ignored in the picture. So that has been my bone of contention forever, that you're squeezing the investor just because he and she has nobody to lobby for them.
0: Fair enough. And uh, the investor in, in that sense has always been an orphaned species in India. Uh, India, mein right. mein itna nahi hai.
1: I mean, some people but you know, it, you need you need change at the policy level. It's only ex post that you can do something. But if yeah. you, yeah, you need the product structure has to be tamper proof. You have to work over there. So you have to hard code investor protection in the structure of the product, the way that the mutual fund has, SEBI has done with mutual
0: funds. Got it. Got it. Okay. Now, now let's get into the next phase. So then how does one research? It, so I'll, I'll share my experience with everyone. Uh, my family have, was the standard family that had a huge allergy to share markets. Um, <laughs> bar zindagi mein, we tried it in the Harshad Mehta period. Aisa my parents still have an allergy to all these things. I, at least six, seven years ago, started, you know, an SIP in different funds, reading, researching for my own, uh, on my own level, talking to some friends uh, who are chartered accountants or some financial uh, you know, advisors here and there. And then I made my decision on my own free will. But the point is that it's impossible for most people to do it. So, how does one go about, I mean, uh, re- researching and, uh, you know, learning about uh, these investments in mutual funds?
1: So, I'll talk about the process, but to your parents who burnt their fingers in the 92 scan, I just want to remind them that. At the peak, the sensex was at 4,000 in those years. From 2,000, it had doubled to 4,000. And today, we have almost touched 64,000 sensex. So, yes, fingers were burnt. But I think if a lesson had been learned, then systematic proper investing may have seen money grow exponentially over these last uh, 30, 40 years. So markets will reflect the growth, especially the stock markets, reflect the growth of the underlying economy. Why has the Japanese index been flat? Because the economy has been flat. What index in the US does better than the broad market index? The tech index, because that's their speciality. US and technology go together. Why is the Indian markets going up and up? Because markets are smelling buoyant growth for the next at least three to five years, if not longer. How does growth translate to markets? Growth means that the companies in the country will make profits. They will grow. So not only do they make profits, they grow. These profits get reflected in the stock price of the companies listed on the markets, right? So there is a. It isn't. Stock market is not a jua. It's not a satta. It is a satta if you play a daily game. But an investor who sat in 1992 on 4,000 Sensex and just rode this journey up to 64,000 today has nothing to lose. So I'm saying you have to simplify. You have to understand the market before getting in and investing. You have to forget that you're a speculator. You are not. So day trading, speculation, margin trading are not for people like us. Would you believe I don't own a single direct stock? I feel I don't know enough. I don't have the guts to buy shares on my own because I feel and I know finance. I do not have the time or the expertise to pick stocks on my own. I don't have the wherewithal to decode global events like Will Wagner actually cause a civil war or not? Should I sell my shares today? I mean, how how am I supposed to, you know, do these things? And if I have just five stocks, my risks are so much higher. But I'm going to come back to your point that how do I decide? And that's where I, I hope that Let's Talk Mutual Fund is of use. Because what I've tried to do is give a very simple system to say that, look, it is intimidating. You know, when you go to a coffee shop, how do you choose? There's, and I've given this example in the book. You know, there's a wall of coffee. I don't know how to choose. There are hundred things out there. So you reduce your choice set. You try and, if there are thousand things, you try and reduce it. So the way that we do it in this, like, the way that I do it in this book is to say that SEBI has created 37 categories of funds, 11 in equity, 16 in debt, 6 in hybrid. You don't need all the categories, Every category has a specific set of characteristics. So you find out your own desires for money. Do you need it in the next three years? Do you need it within three to seven years? When do you need the money? According to that, you will pick a category of debt equity. Within equity, then you decide, uh, you know, whether you want to stay with a lower risk equity or you want to introduce slightly higher risk in your own portfolio. So I'm saying first, when you choose categories, you've already swiped out almost seven to 800 schemes off the board. After you've chosen the categories, then there is a way to choose the schemes from within the categories by looking at consistency of performance, by looking at risk, by looking at expense ratios, by looking at the fund house. The only thing I want to tell investors and viewers is, that never pick last year's winner. There'll be one scheme in a category which would have shown you highest return in the last year. Be sure that this will be at number last in the next year. So top performer, you've seen last year's performance. Do not base your decision on one top performance. Look at the sweep of history. You've got data now. Look at 10, 15, some fund houses have been there for 25 years. Look at 20-year data. Your scheme should be in the top quartile, which means top 25% in the time periods that you consider, 5, 10, 15, 20 years. So you're picking somebody who remains in the top of the class. He's not the topper, but remains in the top of the class. And the return difference between top of the class and the topper Will not be that much so i'm saying don't let perfect be the enemy of good you want this perfection and, and who has perfection in their lives it's a momentary place of being right so even in your money don't try for perfection you will only lose it is good enough to have a scheme which is in the top quartile year after year after year so that you get this consistency of return And then you look at other metrics, which, again, I've defined in the book. How do you think of risk? Uh, Is expense ratio an important factor or not? How important is the fund house and its pedigree? You know, so all of that is considered. Uh, So the message to readers is that I am not giving you five funds to invest in. I will never do that. I will never insult you by uh, giving you five things to invest in because these things will change. And you'll have to constantly come back to me for an update, which I don't want. I want to empower you to say, you have to work equally hard. The work that I have put in, you will have to put in to personalize this book to your life. Front end this work. Do the work today. So that once you have spent hours and hours selecting a scheme, you know that this is a keeper scheme. It's a forever scheme. It's, a, it's the one. Okay, It's the one that you will keep unless something very drastic happens and you have to switch so front load that effort build your portfolio almost as you're choosing a spouse it's that much work goes into it that you know it has to be it has to work for you it has to be solving your financial problems you're not buying on a tip so i'm saying if you build this system you are sorted for life because now you only need to update it twice in a year. You just look at it twice in a year. What has changed? And then it's far easier to replace one scheme than every year. think. You know, so it is my reader will have to do an equal amount of work.
0: So one of the things I've noticed with what people do when it comes to mutual funds is at least in mutual funds that have been in the market for a, more than a decade or so, is look at their performance over the decade. What kind of returns have they given? Now, what are other criteria? Like if I was to say, performance, hai mutual fund. So what 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 beyond that?
1: So I the analogy that I like to give is that you're going from Delhi to Chandigarh mm-hmm. and you're taking the train. The train is going to reach in five hours. Right? There is a taxi driver who also gets you there in five hours, but he's a bad driver. He goes into some shortcuts. He takes roads, which are bad. He almost has an accident. You reach in five hours, but my God, it was a rough ride. So I'm saying your returns are similar. That it is not just the return, it is how much risk did the fund manager take to deliver this return? And the beauty of this industry is that these metrics are all available in very easy, comparable form. You know, so there are concepts like alpha, which again, I've explained in the book. There's concepts like risk-adjusted return. How much risk per unit of return did the fund manager take? And you don't need to go deeply into it simply because simply because they have sorted this out. And a lot of the rankings are bases, the metrics of risk-adjusted return, when they do the star ratings, you know, different people like Morningstar Value Research, Crystal, they will take risk into account and then do the ratings.
0: So, achha, ek, uh, there is a chapter on index investing in yeah. the book. Now, uh, what is index investing? And uh, uh, and uh, there is something called index funds also. Now, how are they compared to mutual funds? What are the subtle differences if I was to ask them?
1: An index fund is a mutual fund. There are different categories of funds. So index fund is a mutual fund. There is something called active investing and passive investing. Mm -hmm. Okay, so active investing is where the fund manager chooses stocks and bonds. Mm
0: -hmm. So it's
1: the fund manager's view, the fund manager's style, which will come in. An index fund simply mimics an index. So we know the broad market indices. We know Sensex. We know Nifty Fifty. These are the best known indices of the Indian markets An index fund will simply buy the stocks in the same proportion as they exist in the index. So if the index goes up by 5%, your index fund will go up by 5%. If the index falls by 5%, you will fall by 5%. So there are no surprises on the journey. It isn't as if the index has gone up by five, but you have gone up only by three it is not as if the index has fallen five, but you have fallen 15. But the reverse is also true that index has gone five, but there are funds which have given 15. So you're letting go of the extra return of managed funds because you don't want the extra risk that comes along with it. The look, the average annual return on the Sensex is between is depending on when you pick the dates right is about 14% 12% if you take uh you know 20 year data if you take 40 year data it's 14% a 14% average annual return is not a bad thing at all so an index fund comes with the advantage that there are very thin costs attached to it So every fund will have some expense ratio. So all costs are included under this one number. Um, You can get a fairly, you can just get an index fund for about 20 basis points, whereas a managed fund would cost you maybe one and a half to 2%. Okay, so, and in the long run, costs matter. So for a new investor, especially, it's a very good idea to taste mutual funds, equity funds with a broad market index fund. Not an ETF, an index fund. ETFs have liquidity issues. So an index fund, but again, the chapter tells you how to evaluate these funds as well.
0: Fair enough. Now, this is a very interesting question because it's directly in line with my next question too. And I will read the question first. Then I'll say what I have to say. A noob question, The even the our person asking this question is saying it's a noob question what is the amount we could invest based on the income and considering starting new to mutual funds uh, in the mid-30s or something. Now, I'll explain why this question matters a lot. Because I went through the same phase. I'm 42 today. I started investing exactly in my mid-30s. Why? Because by nature, even I was raised in a society that was risk-averse. Or a mindset. We are trained to have that mindset which is always that share market and mutual fund has something to do with share market, share market evil. Why evil? Harshad Mehta evil. Harshad Mehta evil. And that cycle is complete. Everybody is scared and they just don't know. Nobody knows. So, so what do we do? How do we go about uh, starting? Say, let's say this is a very good question that someone has asked actually. You know, I can only say read, let's
1: talk money first. Then read Let's Talk Mutual Funds. I'm trying to give you the tools so that you can decide for yourself if markets are safe or not. And I I can only say that in 1992, the Sensex was 4,000. And today it's at 60, we've almost touched it. We have touched a lifetime high, you know? So, and also at every milestone, Sensex, 10,000, 15,000, 25,000, 35, 40, 50, 60. I've always heard this, oh, it's too high. And what I've never understood is too high compared to what compared to 4000 compared to what it isn't as if you know, it is a reflection of the growth potential of a country which spills over and shows up in the stock market. So I think you have to you if you want if you want, if you want to benefit from the market, you have to understand the market. You've got to understand your role of a long-term investor. These are forever funds. You pretty much just milk them when you need money, when you have achieved your goal, but they last you and you bequeath them to your children. Right? So this thing of that, I will book my profits and do what? So when markets had touched, I think last 60,000 or something, people said, oh, I should book profit. I said, what will you do with it? Like, what do you want to do? So the 60 is now 64. And, you know, if if the country continues to grow, the markets continue to grow. So that confidence has to come. You have to understand the stock market. You have to understand that you're a long-term investor and then trust this product and only then put your money. And if you don't trust, don't use it. Please don't use it. You will only lose money. So you need to understand the market. As it's to its basics, you know, what does it do? I'm not saying that you should know PEs and you should know uh, market capitalization. None of that. You should know the DNA of the market. What does it do? How is it structured? Know the basics, commit to it, and then take the leap of faith.
0: But this is the problem. Long term, people uh, are fidgety. I know people, like I don't even look at my mutual fund uh, portfolio for months on like I, I don't even look at it because I know why and what the purpose is. You are not supposed to look at it. But what do you do with people who look at it monthly and say, kuch nahi hi hai. you're in the wrong product. Yeah. They're, they're, I mean, please exit. No yes. one's forcing you. Yeah.
1: So if you can't handle the file, get out. Nobody is forcing you to buy this product. Stay out. If you do not know how to ride a bike, you will only get hurt. So only but if you I... have the majority, like you have, like so many other investors have, of understanding. I mean, do you look at your house price every day? You don't. You know, so I'm saying, understand what you have bought. And then if you're looking every month and saying, kuch ho nahi hai, hai you're in the wrong product. Then you are in real estate. Why are you here? Yeah,
0: and... and... The point is that what people refuse to understand is after 10 years, maybe your mutual fund is going to perform better than a fixed deposit or, or many other things. Like it's so hard to make people understand that basic reality.
1: Yeah. So then I'm saying that there there are enough resources out there and investors now need to do the work. We've got a good regulatory system in place. We've got a fairly good distribution industry in place. Investors now need to do the work to understand the product and commit to long-term investing. And I have to tell you, any investor who has ridden through one downturn is a committed investor. At one time when markets fall and you don't redeem, and then you see the markets coming back, those investors are lifetime investors. So there is no option but to learn. And also, especially for the millennials, Gen, Gen Z, they're going to live for a long, long time. So at 60, they have almost 40 years to cater for. And you know what happens with inflation. So to gather a portfolio on just risk-free return of a bank deposit is going to be impossible. Those corpuses will not happen. So you, especially this generation, you have no option but to understand this product, product category
0: one particular thing and maybe we can end on this what is jargon free investing it is appendix one in your book
1: yeah i mean everyone throws this jargon around no that uh, direct regular this that so i'm saying it isn't difficult if you just spend an hour and understand these terms you will f- forever be free of this fear because the minute you go to invest xyz uh mid and large and mid cap Growth, I did, uh, income distribution, capital, withdrawal, uh, income distribution, capital. You know, so there are four options. Then do you want a direct plan or a regular plan? So the, those options intimidate people. And I'm saying it's not so difficult. Just understand the logic, the jargon, little bit of jargon you will need to know. And then you're free. So it is jargon-free investing that don't let it intimidate you.
0: Yeah. And that, I think that's a big problem for a lot of people. Um, okay. One more question is there that after access debacle, um, there are many, like this user says, I only have 20% in active funds. Rest all is in index funds. Am I missing out on the market boom that is expected in the coming years?
1: <laughs> you know, these are such personal questions. It is your own evaluation of your risk that, you uh whether you want to be in an active or a passive fund. And having an active and passive strategy is not a bad idea. You know, if you have 100 rupees to put in equity, maybe 50 rupees you put in a lower risk index. And with 50, you take an active market. Uh, you, you expose yourself to active funds in half your portfolio. So, you know, we have to stop thinking of an all or nothing approach. That I will only do index or I'll only do active. I'm saying do half and half. So learn to personalize these things. And basically, if you stop being intimidated, the solutions will come to you. So empower yourself with knowledge and then build your portfolios.
0: What do you make of all this crypto? I know you have commented on Twitter also on crypto. So what do you do with uh, all the crypto bros? Nowadays, young kids are all into crypto bros.
1: So I actually liken it to closed loops of people exchanging colored marbles. They have value in a closed loop. So what else could it be? Tell me the underlying. An asset has to have an underlying. And don't liken it to gold because uh, central banks keep gold reserves. Hmm. So there is an immediate value over there. No central bank worth its repo rate is going to use a privately held code as part of their reserves. It'll never happen. So show me the underlying and I'll change my view. What is the underlying to a, a digital token? Yeah. So I it's,
0: I a, have colored market. Market. it's a colored marble. It's a colored Yeah, so it's, mujhe like to changing.
1: Actually, it's a, in a closed loop, a golden marble may have more value than a silver marble. And a person may exchange it for some money. But you don't buy bread or eggs or a bag with this.
0: Hmm. I think crypto is good for people who want to stay out of the government system. I think it's ideally meant for them.
1: Yeah. So then also, if you see the history of whatever has happened in the last few years, it's been used to fund terror, human trafficking, drugs. Again, It depends how you earn your money, how you spend it. Is that what you want to be part of? That was not supposed to be the crypto's promise. Yeah. So I'm saying, yeah, if that is what you want.
0: Uh, Yeah, I think, I think we could not have uh, wrapped up our one hour podcast in a better way than talking about crypto in the end. But uh, Monica, before I let you go, so i mutual fund value book like the next book. Yeah.
1: You know, increasingly, I'm understanding that uh, women as a category of people are really, really far behind in this conversation.
0: Yes. So I,
1: I really want to do a book for women just to, you know, take them forward on this journey. I, I
0: actually would insist. In fact, I would uh, troll you <laughs> on WhatsApp to write that book daily because you have to write that book. In fact, you remember that we had a podcast And I had told you at that time also, नहीं, नहीं I, रहा will रहा write, I will
1: write this book because the stories which come to me are so horrendous that uh, I think it is, I, I will have to do this book.
0: Yeah, and you're the best person to do it because. Thank you. you. No, you have to write it. You have to write it. Yeah. So, so once again, Monica, congratulations on this new book. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for coming. It's always a pleasure talking to you. I always learn a lot. I, you know, I, I, I've been quietly reading your work and listening to you for years and it's a, it's a, it's a good thing having a podcast, you know, you get to talk to people whom you admire and learn so much from. Thank you once again. That's a high note
1: to end on. Thanks so much.
0: Alright guys we'll wrap today's podcast up once again in the description of the podcast there is a link to buy the book uh i would say go and buy this right now and if you have not read let's talk money go and buy let's talk money 2 uh I will insist these two books are really important. It, uh, uh, if if you're a young person, especially from the age of 18 to 40 or that 45 age group, you should read these books, especially because you have a long road ahead of you. You should manage your finances better. You can also follow Monica on Twitter. As far as I'm concerned, you know the drill. Please like this video, subscribe to the Charvak Podcast YouTube channel if you have not, and leave your comment in the comment section. If you're an audio only listener, please go and uh, leave a rating on Spotify, Audible, Amazon, Google or leave a review on iTunes. Also, I will see you next time. Until then, Namaste. Take care. Bye.